You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Thank you. So, hey, today we are continuing our sermon series on vision. Would you say that word with me? Vision. One more time. One, two, three. Vision. How many of you are right now in the midst of a fast or have fasted over the weekend with our church fasting? So, um, just to honor you, every illustration that I have today is about food. Kidding. That would just be cruel. Papa John's, Chinese, chicken wings, burgers. Um, so anyways, uh, thank you uh, so much for who have already started to share testimonies of how God is connecting with you and impacting you um, over this fasting uh, period. And I just want to give another shout out. Thank you so much, Gary, for sharing that anointed message with us last week on fasting. If you missed it, make sure that you go online and check it out. But we talked about how fasting relates to hearing from God, receiving vision. And I just want to challenge you, go back and hear that sermon from Gary if you haven't done so already. But today, we are continuing our series on vision, and I've got to admit that when it comes to the topic of vision, I have to restrain myself. Otherwise, we could do a long, long, long sermon series on just the topic of vision. Growing up as a pastor's kid, you know, I just, I saw my dad, um, still to this day, he walks with this gifting of God-given vision. And it always inspired me, it always pulled my heart, where my dad saw things not for how they were, but he saw things for what God could do. Come on, somebody. He saw things, and he saw things in such a manner that it was like, if we give this to God, this is what I think that God would do with it. And I remember just growing up, my dad, you know, and I've shared this story before, and I I just, it was such a pivotal moment in my life where um, as a pastor's kid, after Wednesday night service, is I would walk around with my dad and do lockup. And so my dad's locking up the church, turning off lights, and I remember, I'll never forget walking to the back door of this fellowship hall that we had. And we walked to this back door, and there's a hillside, and I remember my dad asking the question, what do you see? And I'm like, I see a hillside. I, I see some great opportunities for some deer stands. I, I don't know. And I remember my, my dad looking at this hillside, and he began to just lay out this, this vision. He's like, you know what I see? I I see a a facility where we could do ministry out of. I see a classroom, you know, building where the basement would be nothing but classrooms to help with our education wing. I see a gymnasium that our youth ministry can meet in. I see a mezzanine up top where we could host small groups. And my dad just begins to, to, to explain this very vivid vision of what God could do if we gave him this little piece of the property on the church. And in the years to come, years later, after my dad spoke that, do you know what was sitting on that side of the property that is still there today? That exact vision. And I remember my dad growing up, he, he instilled, again, still to this day, just sitting down with my dad when he says these words, you know what I think? You better get out a, a notepad because you're about to hear something anointed. And I remember, you know, just my dad having the vision where, you know, we started this ministry And the church, and it was titled Feed the Need. And I remember that it started out as just a way to give a Thanksgiving meal to those who were in need of one. And I remember that as the years went on, the vision for just this need meeting ministry blew up into an all-day event. I'll never forget pulling into the event and seeing thousands of people lined up from the bottom of that mezzanine door that we just talked about, the whole way wrapping around the parking lot and going down the public road. 
people waiting for not only this meal, but before they could get a meal, they heard a sermon, an invitation to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I remember that this event just kept growing to the point to where we would have um, different um, beauty salons come in and, and donate their time so that people who needed a haircut and a shave, whatever they needed, could go down to this room and receive one. I remember that different clothing stores donating brand new clothing so that individuals who needed clothing could literally go through and shop. And I remember us inviting organizations in who could help the needy get their, their feet on a solid foundation, came in and donated their time and effort to help work out a plan to get people out of poverty. And I'm just, I remember seeing this vision of this outreach ministry just come to pass. And I don't think my dad will ever realize the impact that these small moments had on me where supernatural vision was bestowed on my father. And I remember seeing him operate in that. And by the way, supernatural vision can be defined like this, seeing things not as they are, but what God could do with them. God has a vision for your life. We need to stop thinking that the pastor's the only one that hears from God. Come on, somebody. We need to stop thinking that the pastor's the only one who's called to ministry. That religious worldview and spirit has to die at the foot of the cross. God has a vision for your life. God has things where he wants to speak to you and say, I want you to see that person, not as they are, but what they could be. I want you to see, and you fill in the blank, that passion that God has given you. I'm telling you, I love the topic of vision because I see Jesus operating in this manner. Jesus never saw something for how it was. You cannot read scripture and see Jesus just saying, yeah, that's a person, that's a place, that's a thing, whatever. Jesus saw things completely different. He always saw things with a kingdom purpose, a divine purpose. And not only that, but I believe that this vision that Jesus was constantly speaking, it was contagious. Vision, kingdom vision is contagious. In John chapter 4, verse 35, it says this, Don't you have a saying, Jesus speaking, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus says, you have this saying, and he begins to speak about the physical element of these crops, and then Jesus explains something spiritual out of the physical. He's not seeing merely fields. What he's saying is, I see people who are ready to be ministered to. The time is now, and Jesus has this supernatural, God-given vision where he sees people not as they are, but what they could be in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, friends, what will change our nation, what will change our world, is when the church starts getting this and starts looking at the world not as it is, but as an opportunity for God to work. Come on, somebody. Jesus uses something physical to explain the supernatural. That's the pattern in the word of God that we find. Then in Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10, and if you have your Bibles with me this morning, you can turn to Romans 16. We're going to be spending a bulk of our time out of Romans 16. Then in Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 2, Jesus sees a man by the name of Zacchaeus. And he looks at Zacchaeus, and I love how abrupt Jesus is sometimes. Don't you find that refreshing? When somebody speaks 
plainly. It's like there's no mystery. He just says it how it is. And Jesus, he looks at Zacchaeus, and he says, I'm coming to your house, and we're going to eat. I'm sitting there going, I need to adapt that to the ministry that God has called me to. You, I'm coming to your house, and we're going to eat. And everyone is shocked by this. Everyone is saying, because, you know, they're looking at Zacchaeus saying, he's a horrible man, he's a manipulator, he's a thief, he's crooked, he's scum. I mean, literally the worst reputation you could have was to be a tax collector. Everybody knew that you were only in it to gain for yourself finances and to manipulate from individuals. They had a horrible reputation, And he invites, he says, I'm coming to your house. And everyone is shocked by that. And I believe that Zacchaeus is like, me? And what ends up happening at this meal, as many of you know this story, Jesus sits down and Zacchaeus, so compelled by Christ's passion and who he is, stands up and says, I'm going to pay everything back and then some. I'm going to give my life to Christ. I believe that that Jesus saw Zacchaeus sitting in a tree, trying to catch a glimpse. Zacchaeus was sitting there trying to catch a glimpse of Jesus. To others, they probably looked at Zacchaeus as kind of pathetic. You're, you're so sh- short. You're so, you're, you're so, you have to be up there. But I believe that G- Jesus saw that and said, that man's desperate. Jesus saw Zacchaeus not for who he was, but what he could be. And I want to challenge us this morning that that is the basis of supernatural God-given vision. Seeing something or someone not as they are, but what they could be if they turned and came to know Christ. I believe that when we read in scripture and Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, follow me, and they give up their careers in pursuit of him. I believe that Jesus had a vision for their lives. In that moment, Jesus saw potential in them. He saw something in them that he said, that's a teachable spirit. You come follow me because there's vision that you're going to be a part of. You have to understand that at this moment in time when Jesus was saying, come follow me, These men didn't know that they were in the Bible yet. They didn't know that they were going to be famous. They didn't know that they were going to go down in history. Imagine just some stranger walking by and saying, come follow me. And something inside of you leaping out and saying, there's something divine about this man. Jesus invites them into a vision, not only a life-changing decision to follow him, but he invites them into a vision. I believe that even the Bible itself, come on, it is vision. We look at the word of God and we understand that through the Bible, God wants to give you a greater vision of who he is and the plans that he has for you. God has supernatural vision for your life that you can only receive in following Jesus. It's more than entrepreneurship. Come on, somebody. In today's world, for whatever reason, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur without sacrifice, and that's a whole other topic. But the Bible's more than, hey, how to be successful and build up all these blessings and die fat and happy. Praise God. The Bible's about vision, life change for others' sake. I want to do a quick refresher, just some points on what, how we can define vision. First, vision is God's preferred future for your life. How do we define vision? It is God's preferred future for your life. God's vision for your life is deeply connected to your involvement in church. You cannot look at scripture and find lone wolf Christianity. 
where God says, I want you to go out by yourself, never be connected to the body, and you just do you, and you're good. It's not scriptural. As a matter of fact, we are called to be deeply connected to one another on such an intimate level that we look at one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. You cannot do this thing alone. Look to your neighbor and say, I need you. And we're going to, some of you are enjoying that too much. We're going to, for all the singles, you're welcome. I also want to say this. His vision is always about impacting others. Anytime I hear a prophetic word, and friends, there's an election coming up in a couple years, and I want to give you forewarning. There's going to be prophets coming out of the woodwork. And their prophetic messages are going to have nothing to do with Christ, but everything to do with a political party. That is how we, that should be a red flag for us when it has nothing to do with Jesus and furthering his kingdom and coming to repentance and coming to salvation in Jesus. That is not a word from God. I am struggling to not preach about a thousand sermons today. His vision, prophetic messages are real, but they always have to do with making an impact for a kingdom purpose. They are never just about self-gratification. He matches our giftedness and our passions and uses them to make a difference. Which brings me to my next point. God's vision for your life will always involve making a difference in the world. So we're impacting people, but we're making differences. He matches your giftedness and passions to use them to make a difference. Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, which is where we're going to get to in just a moment. And by the way, let me hit the pause button real quick. Do I have time to hit the pause button? I have plenty of time. So, (laughs) rhetorical question. So, last week when Gary was preaching, there was a really cool moment that I believe is just a sign of revival. While Gary's preaching, he asks us to turn to a specific scripture, and Nancy, his wife, leans over to me, and she's crying and smiling, and I'm like, I'm confused. (laughs) And Nancy looks at me, and she says, do you hear that? And I paused, and I could hear, and it filled the room, this sound of scripture pages being turned. And I looked at her and I said, that's a new sound for our church. And I believe that that is one of the sounds because revival has a sound. I've preached on it before. Revival sounds like crying, people coming to know the Lord. Revival sounds like people being baptized in the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of sounds associated with revival. In the book of Acts, it says that they heard a sound like a rushing wind. There wasn't an actual rushing wind. When you read scripture, it says there was a sound. There was a sound when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. There's a sound to revival. And I believe that another sound that is associated with revival is when people are reading the word of God and you can hear the pages being turned. So I want to encourage you, keep getting in the word of God and it'll keep getting into you. 
God's vision for your life will always involve making a difference. Romans 16 is an incredible chapter where Paul lists more than 28 people that are, are, are contributing and furthering the church. And it's incredible here because it's a list of people that are making an impact in the world. They are furthering the church. They are receiving God's vision. They are living out of God's vision. And Paul, in one way, is not only celebrating what they've done, but he's acknowledging the difference that these individuals are making in the world. What's incredible about Romans chapter 16 is many of the names that Paul lists aren't full-time missionaries. They aren't full-time evangelists. They aren't full-time pastors. Who are the people that make up this incredible list? The body of Christ. You. Romans chapter 16, verse 1 through 5. I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centuria, I ask that you receive her in the Lord in a way that is worthy of his people and give to her any help that she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinitus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. We skim over this list, and I don't know if we've understood the impact or the implications yet. To be validated by Paul is a big deal. Paul was respected in the church world by this point in his ministry. At first, everybody's freaking out because they think Paul is there to kill them. Because if you remember, Paul was Saul, and Saul hated Christians. And so by this point, Paul has gained a reputation of ministry that is respected. People understand the true transformation that has taken place in his life. And one of the things that gives our denomination, the Assemblies of God, some backing whenever we have women in full-time ministry, because there's some denominations that don't accept that, is there is a very unique word used here. When Paul says, I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a deacon, in the Greek, that word there actually means deaconess. It is the feminine verb, or excuse me, the feminine noun of deaconess. And he's saying that, and again, you have to understand that at this point in time, deacons were a big deal in the church. They carried authority. There was an understanding that deacons carried maturity in Christ. There was an understanding that if you were called a deacon, that you carried wisdom, come on, that you carried an understanding, that you've carried a genuine relationship with Jesus. And this was a point in time where, where men practically ruled everything. And here's Paul, and he's saying, this woman, Phoebe, she carries that same authority and respect. Then there's Epinitus, which is not Epinata. For those of you who are confused. There's scholars that believe that the reason for mentioning him being the first convert in Asia was because there was an understanding that he's doing something in an area that has never done, been done before. That he's ministering in uncharted territories, and there is a huge level of respect that comes with that. Before him, there's Priscilla and Aquila. They worked in the same trade of tent making at some point in time with Paul risking their lives. And then Paul mentions that these people, they are furthering the kingdom of God by allowing the body of Christ to meet in their house, which carried huge risks. If you hosted church in your home during this time, you were putting yourself in a position where you could lose everything. 
And he's commending them, saying these people are furthering the kingdom like you couldn't imagine. The first century church was so successful. These people that we just, hear me, these people that we just read about were so successful in ministry that we are here today as a result of the fruit of their ministry. I would say that things went pretty well in your house church whenever we're here having church as a result of a few thousand year old house church. Kingdom vision goes on and on for a very long time. Have you asked God yet, what is his vision for your life? And if you have, how are you being obedient to it? They were not full-time pastors like we would understand pastors to be today. Who Paul is referring to are you and I, the body of Christ. God knows his church. He knows you. He knows the giftings that he's given you. And he has a vision for your life to use you in ways that make a difference in the world, just like he did with all of these church members. But here's the reality. God's vision requires long-term faithfulness. If you're going to be in it, if you're going to ask for his vision to be carried on in your life, you have to be willing to dedicate your life to his purpose, to his cause. Paul is listing individuals in Romans 16 and commending them for their faithfulness on top of their fruitfulness. He lists their accomplishments and all of the great things that they are doing, but there's an understanding that to experience success and fruitfulness demands faithfulness. We are so nearsighted that we don't give God enough time to work in our lives and then we end up disappointed and brokenhearted claiming that God never came through. That's not the issue. You never gave him enough time. Can I be honest this morning? Thank you. Every morning. A prime example of God's plan for your life and vision requiring long-term faithfulness who I think of the most is David. And 1 Samuel, and please stay on Romans 16, we'll be coming back to it, but 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13 says, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, him being David, and the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel then went to Ramah. David was anointed as king. Now, I want you to put yourself in this position. When when a prophet came to the house, you can assume that all family members were present. That's when you like you call up your aunts, uncles, and that cousin that you don't even know anymore. You call them and say, this prophet is in our house, and they will come. And you can imagine that he was in the presence of his family. And what was it like? What was David thinking when he walked up and he was wondering, you know, why, why has my father called me out of the fields, my responsibility to come here? David had no idea what he was walking into. Can you imagine what he was thinking when he walks up and sees the prophet Samuel sitting there? Me, I would be like, I didn't do it. I can't imagine what it was like to approach Samuel and to see Samuel stand up and look. And I just wonder if Samuel was just smiling and then you're like, oh no, he's going to prophesy God's judgment on my life. He's looking and smiling right at me. And I could only imagine the gasp that took place in the room as David walked up and Samuel said, him. I can only imagine his brothers gasping and saying, him? We beat him up an hour ago. 
And if I learned that I was king, humility would probably not be how you would describe my reaction. I'd be like, you know. If I was declared king and I found out that that's God's vision for my life, I would expect that vision to come to pass right here, right now. I would be expecting uh, a carriage ride to the kingdom. There's a throne that must be sat on and I am he that must sit on it. I would be expecting the kingdom right now. Where does David go after he receives the vision that is bestowed upon him to be the leader? He goes back to the fields. Why? Because God's vision demands faithfulness. And even though David had the vision, he did not have the faithfulness yet. And God knew that in order to build character and godly integrity and the fear of the Lord and a king, we're going to have to work on some faithfulness now. Don't give up on God is what I'm telling you this morning. In the good times and the bad times, if he has a vision for your life, be patient. He's growing something in you that cannot be taught unless you experience it. David waited 15 to 20 years for that vision to come to pass. He experiences that holy moment and then waits. And in that 15 to 20 years, I would encourage you to make it a part of your devotions to read what all he went through with the understanding that God was building a king which required faithfulness. Faithfulness is dependence regardless of circumstance. How do we define faithfulness? It is dependence on God regardless of circumstance. You want to experience God's vision and plans for your life? Give him time. Remain faithful to him. And here's a good rule of thumb. Give Jesus as much time as you gave the world when you didn't know Christ. If you didn't know Christ for a majority of your life, 20 to 30 years, then I believe that you at least owe him 20 to 30 years to prove himself. Not that he has to, by the way. But I believe that we should give God as many years as the locusts took from us. You know what I'm saying? I want to challenge you. Give God as much time as you gave the world in order to experience his vision for your life. As a matter of fact, based on scripture, and by the way, circumstance, you are going to face trials. Can I hear a good amen this morning? It's not a matter of if, you will. As a matter of fact, I feel fairly confident based on a scriptural perspective and understanding that God's vision will require pain. Any worthy cause demands a sacrifice. There's a quote that I heard once that said, I have Never envied the life of a lazy person. God's vision will require pain. And hear me this morning, and this is a word for those who are going through pain right now. Worship team, you can come. God never wastes pain. He never wastes it. He doesn't cause it, but he never wastes it. He always uses pain and trials 
in a way that gives us a kingdom purpose. A purpose that will outlive us is how we define a kingdom purpose for his sake. For example, through suffering, God exposes our sin and calls us to soul-saving repentance as Romans 8 and Luke 13 define it. Through affliction, he drives us from the dangers of trust in self to the safety of trust in him as defined in 2 Corinthians. Through pain, he works in us hope and holiness and endurance. And I want to pause real quick because uh, endurance is something that we haven't yet come to really appreciate as a church in America. Endurance means that you arrive at a place. It means that you arrive at a place where things that once held you back no longer have an effect on you. Do you know how powerful it is to frustrate the devil? That's a holy moment, baby. When you're walking around and you're frustrating Satan himself, I can't help but feel really good about that. Because he frustrates me. I think it's time that I frustrate him. Endurance is when Satan throws things in your pathway that used to trip you up, but now you just go... That's endurance. Arriving at a place with the understanding that my pain is not my destination. My pain is used for a purpose. He makes us the hands of his comfort in the lives of others when we go through suffering. When we've been there, you know what's a powerful testimony? When you're broken to pieces and somebody comes alongside and says, I've been where you've been. He uses distress and persecution to reposition his troops. Every time there's a persecuted church, they spread out and further the gospel into areas unreached. Every time, Satan can't even persecute the church successfully. He makes our sufferings into his instruments to wean us from the cheap thrills of the world. He keeps us from conceit and woos us into surpassing value and preciousness of Christ. We get this from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and Philippians chapter 1. When you face pain as a part of following God, take comfort in knowing that God is not malicious. He's not looking at you saying, oh, I can't wait to trip him up next. God is seeing pain enter into your life and he says, I'm going to turn that pain around for my glory. Only a powerful God can do that. The pain will be used to grow you and grow others. Hear me out. As long as you are teachable. If you are not teachable, you will experience pain and you will bring upon yourself a victim mentality and you will be put on a hamster wheel in life where you continue to relive the same trauma and the same pain, always reflecting, always obsessing, always talking about that one time when I was younger. Do you know what happened to me, pastor? And you never move beyond that, but God has a better way. If you're teachable and you back away from your painful circumstance and ask the question, God, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? I promise you it'll change your life. God's vision for your life will always make a difference in other people's lives. I want to focus on this point as we close because I believe that God has birthed something in man and that is the desire to make a real difference in this world. Some people put that desire into their 
uh, job. Some people put that desire into politics. Some people put that desire on their Facebook status. And it stays there to get likes and anger faces and hugs. But when you give God that desire, it will make a difference. I believe that it's birthed in all of us to want to make an impact on the world around us. And I just want to say this, if we as a church, if we as C3 Ministries are not developing the kind of Christians that are faithful to God's plan and vision for their life, if we are not developing Christians that recognize God's goodness is bigger than any disappointment that you face, if we are not creating Christians that recognize that God uses pain to equip us for the calling and the vision that he has given us, then we have failed. If we are not being the body of Christ that remains faithful no matter what the circumstance that is headed towards the goal, a kingdom value goal, we are failing. Our job isn't to have church. Come on, somebody. Our job is to create disciples. Our job isn't to meet here. Our job is to mold and shape lives by being obedient to the vision that he has given the church. Who's the church? An example of someone, and I close with this, an example of someone that ran after God's vision for their life and made a difference in generations to come, and his name was mentioned last week, was the revivalist Jonathan Edwards. I love that reference, Gary. Jonathan Edwards led the first great awakening, and there's actually many historical scholars that understand that the great awakening made the ground fertile for 1776 to happen. Because when people know righteousness and they are dealt with injustice and unrighteousness, they are able to recognize it. This great awakening, we're still living off of the fruits from it. Jonathan Edward was the individual who pioneered the way with this. And there was a study done between Jonathan Edwards' lineage and a man by the name of Max Jukes' lineage. Max Jukes was an atheist that lived a godless lifestyle during the same time that Jonathan Edwards lived. So we have two individuals, by the way. We have two individuals. They live at the same time, on the same historical timeline. One's an atheist who pursues the things of the world. The other is a man of God who pursues the vision of God. What is the result? What difference did they make as far as their family and their lineage? A study was done. Max Jukes married an ungodly woman. And from that union, there were 310 who died as extremely poor and impoverished individuals. 150 were criminals, seven were murderers, 100 were drunkards, and more than half of the women were prostitutes. His 540 descendants cost the state one and a quarter million dollars in support and damages. What about Jonathan Edwards, a man who yielded to God's vision? Jonathan Edwards, a man ran, a man who, the revivalist, ran after God's vision for his life. He married a godly girl and investigations made that of 1,394 known descendants of Jonathan found that 13 became college presidents, 65 college professors, three United States senators, 30 judges, 100 lawyers, 60 physicians, 75 army and navy officers, 100 preachers and missionaries, 60 authors of prominence, one vice president of the United States, 80 became public officials in the other capacities, 295 graduates, among whom were governors of the state and ministers to foreign countries. And of his descendants, not a single one cost the state a penny. God's vision makes a difference. 
for generations to come out of your lineage. Are you seeking it? Are you asking God, what do you want from my life? Because I believe that I believe that there are individuals here today that God has called you to full-time ministry. But you've contemplated because you said, oh, pastor, I'm too old, maybe in a younger, no, God's calling you now. I believe that out of our church, I'm telling you, you want to hear some vision? I believe that out of our church, God is going to raise up missionaries and evangelists and pastors like the world has never known. I believe that. I'm believing for that. I would ask you to join me with that. But here's kind of the caveat with this. We think, okay, God calls us when we're young. No, I believe that the next revival that's going to continue in our church, by the way, I believe that God is going to call you as you are in a full-time ministry and that he's going to leave a lineage like Jonathan Edwards' life did through you and I. It's a matter of if we will submit. Would you stand to your feet this morning, church? What you have just heard is the impact that a person has when they seek God's vision for their life with Jonathan Edwards. But hear me out. What you have also heard is the tragic story of when someone rejects God's vision for their life. What do you want for your children's children? What do you want for your great, great, great grandkids? lineage of destruction and chaos that is absent from God's vision and calling in their lives? Or will you lead the way by exemplifying what it's like to seek God's vision and be obedient to it and therefore leaving a lineage and ministry on earth that far outlives you? You have that choice here today. It's in your hands right now in this moment. Would you bow your heads with me? just a moment, I'm going to ask for those who are willing to run after God's vision, if you're willing to make that promise to him today, and this is for those who you say, this isn't a salvation call, by the way. This is for those specifically, I feel it on my heart, for those who already know Christ. God's asking you to go into another level of commitment. Church, he's asking us as the body of Christ today to enter into a new stage of commitment. And I believe that how we respond here today is gonna deeply impact the next two to five years of ministry that C3 Church experiences. I believe that that pivotal moment is here and now. And what he's asking us is, are you willing to experience the pain that is necessary to grow godly character in your life? I am tired of hearing sermon series based on the call and it is painted as this hunky-dory rainbows and sunshine thing. Can I tell you this morning that the call that God places on us, the vision that he places and gives us in our lives, it is painful. I would be lying as a pastor if I told you I never struggled with the vision and call that God gave me. Anybody who says that I believe is lying because even Jesus struggled with it in the Garden of Gethsemane. God is asking us this morning, church, are you willing to give me your everything? 
Are you willing to go through pain and trials for the sake of growing you into maturity? And that is for the sake of reaching others. Are you willing this morning to say, as Isaiah did, here I am, Lord. Use me. Are you willing to say, God, I will lay down my life if it is called, whatever it is that you desire. Are you willing to enter into this level of commitment? Because I'm telling you, if you will, it's going to challenge you. It's going to be painful, but it will make a difference that you never could have imagined for years and years and generations to come. If that's you this morning, without anybody looking around, would you lift a hand towards heaven? And you're not doing this for me. You're saying that to God. Here I am, Lord. Are you willing this morning, church, to say, God, even if you call me out of my profession right here and right now, I'm willing to give it all to you. God, you're calling me to a new new standard in my profession. You're calling me to a new level of parenting with my kids. You're calling me to a new level as a husband, as a wife. You're calling me to to be a, a better servant in the church. Lord, I pray over every upraised hand right now that you'd begin to speak to the hearts of your congregation, of your church, that you'd begin to give us mental images of what you're calling us to. Maybe it's kids ministry, youth ministry. Maybe it's one of the areas that I've just mentioned. Maybe it's an usher. Maybe, Lord, it's, it's a worship team. Whatever it may be, I pray that you'd begin to fill the gaps right here and right now because we recognize that we are not called to keep seats warm on a Sunday. We are called to make disciples. So may this be a year. The harvest is now. The harvest is now, Lord. Right now, I pray that you'd begin to burn in every upraised hand for the lost, that you'd begin to break every heart in this place as we recognize that there are individuals out there who are broken, lonely, lost, shattered, and you're calling us, Lord, to bring restoration to them by bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give us that burden. And Lord, as we continue to seek our vision, I pray that you would fill in the gaps. We've provided an outline here this morning, but we entrust the details to follow into your hands. We ask in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, I want to warn you. You just declared a spiritual war. You are going to face challenges this week like you've never faced before. And in those moments, I want to challenge you to connect with this body of Christ. We're here for one another. Amen, church? I want to challenge you. If there's anything that myself, the board members can do, call us. But you are going to be challenged this week. Why? Because it's fresh in your spirit. It's fresh in your mind. And I'm telling you, as you pull out of this parking lot, somebody is going to cut you off. Be prepared for it. But church, here's the follow-up with this message this morning. This week, today, right now, this evening, when you have time, give that time to God and ask him, Lord, what is your vision for my life? And as he begins to stir up passions and burdens in your life, I want you to recognize that as a direction to follow in. Here's the other way that this works. Faith is not standing inactive and saying, God, when you give me the next step, then I will. Faith is walking, trusting that he will land every one of our steps on his plan. If there's anything that we can do to serve you more, 
as we discover as the body of Christ what his vision is for our lives, please please come to us. But here's the follow-up action. Seek his vision this week, and as it is made known to you, act on it. Would you bow your heads with me one more time as I close this out with prayer? Father, I thank you, Lord, for speaking to the hearts this morning, for doing work that no pastor, no no minister, no evangelist, no missionary, no board member, no deacon, no one could have ever done, but you did it, and you're doing it, and you're going to continue to do it. So, Lord, I just pray that you would give us ears to hear, Father. Help us to walk in obedience, because this morning, I believe that you're calling some individuals to give up a lot. Lord, help us to lift our hearts up to heaven with open hands because we want to make a difference. And your vision is what makes all the difference. So your kingdom come, your will be done. Mold us, shape us, I ask in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, and everybody shouted. Can we just give the Lord just a celebration for what he started to do and what he will continue to do. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you as you go with the Lord. He's going with you. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.